Father, when days are dark, when times are difficult, when we look around for the things that help us and they're no longer there, our hearts turn to you because we know that you will hold us fast. And Father, you always hold us fast. We're just maybe not always aware of it. And so, Lord, this morning, as we look into your word, we pray indeed that you would hold us in such a way that we are cognizant of it, that we that we can sense it, that in a real way, a tangible way to each one of us, as different as that may be, your presence would be made known among us through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please have a seat. So eager to serve his country, he followed after his father and his uncles. Joshua joined the United States Army in the late 90s. He served in the 82nd Airborne. He also served in the 2nd Infantry Division. But he wanted to do more. He wanted to to fly. He wanted to fly helicopters. And so after his uh, flight training, he was sent to the 10th Mountain Division, uh, the 6th Shooters, the uh, 6th Aviation Brigade. His fellow pilots always looked up to him uh, for leadership. He was an example of a good father, good husband, a good soldier in deed and uh, in word. Fine man. He was he was uh, cheerful, uh, funny. In fact, uh, stout and steadfast in his belief that this country was worth defending, even if it meant that he gave uh, the ultimate sacrifice. He was a role model. He provided a fine example of how we should live um, with the love of country and family. So it was that Joshua Michael Tillery was killed in action on January 26, 2009 while flying a combat mission uh, near Kirkuk in Iraq. He was awarded two uh, air medals, the Purple Heart and Bronze Star. And his death really diminished the lives of many through the, the loss of joys and, and wonder that any loved one would bring into our life. Joshua was my brother's only son, and 14 years later, he still grieves. I, I think that's every parent's deepest fear, that someday by accident or illness or some other cause, a child would be taken away. Wouldn't you... Agree that nothing seems more unnatural than the death of a child before their parent. It's so painful that we hardly ever even think about it, uh, much less speak about it publicly. And yet, in my 25 years in the military, not to mention my work in the church, I bear witness to the pain of many a parent who has lost their child. But in, at least in the military, there's, there's something, even though you don't believe it, there's something in the back of your mind that realizes that, that, that this could happen. But, but those who aren't in uh, such an occupation, 
or first responders or the police or firefighters. That's not part of your thinking at all in any way. It's not even in the back of your mind like the three-year-old in Chicago, three-year-old boy in Chicago yesterday who was uh, shot in his home just while he was just playing. Living life unaware of any danger at all. The death draws near to the young. It brings us all, especially parents, to a crisis point in their life. C.S. Lewis put it this way, You never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life or death to you. It's easy to say that you believe that a rope is strong provided all you do is tie a box up with it. But, suppose you had to hang by that rope from a precipice. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? Only real risk tests the reality of a belief. And so it is that today we're going to look at a father whose son was dying. We don't know the nature of the son's illness. All we know is that he had a fever and that he was close to death. We don't know his name. We don't know his age. We have some notion from the text that he was not yet an adult. The story doesn't mention his mother, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if this official was speaking to Jesus at her urging. The parents only wanted to know one thing. Is my child going to be all right? As one physician put it, when your child is sick, you don't care about test results. You don't care about x-rays. You don't care about percentages, new medicines, research protocols, or anything else. All you want to know is one thing. Is he, is she going to be all right? Because nothing else matters at that point. Let's look at the text that we find in, in John, John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. He came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea, to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign Jesus did when he came from Judea to Galilee. I mean, part of the wonder of this story is that Jesus had never met the child. The child never met Jesus, never laid eyes on each other. 
Instead, what we see is the story of an influential man who was making a request to Jesus that resulted in a miracle. And this story reveals a whole lot much more than we can uh, cover today. Not the least of which is how faith develops and grows in the human heart. It recently, in uh, some of our uh, outside of, uh, it, it, like Wednesday night and, and Sunday, we've talked about the nature of salvation and sanctification. Uh, we are not born into God's family with fully developed faith. If you struggle, welcome, because that is the nature of our life. And we go through various stages uh, to reach where God wants us to be. But what kind of faith is a, a saving faith? Uh, Barb recently shared with me a wonderful clip from Alistair uh, Begg. Uh, where he delightfully illustrates this point by telling the story of the thief of the cross on the cross and that entrance into heaven. And without telling the whole uh, thing, essentially it's, why are you here? I'm here because the man on the middle cross said I could come. It wasn't theology. It wasn't his understanding of Anything other than God's grace and mercy and his expressed faith. Often we find, though, that faith begins in crisis. I mean, when things are going good, there is that temptation. It's relatively easy to forget God. But when, when life caves in around us, we start looking to heaven for help. And socioeconomic status makes no difference in, in this regard. It's not a hedge against these kinds of things. We, we find in verse 46 that there was a, an official. At, uh, he was a royal official. That, I mean, the, the ESV uh, calls him an official, but the Greek is much more specific. He is a uh, basilikos. And what that means is, is he was belonging to, he was of a king. That he was certainly uh, without question, it means that he was an official of Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch of Galilee. So no doubt he was rich and powerful and certainly influential. Now, he was a man that others uh, feared and respected. People came to him to have their problems solved. He'd go to have his problems solved. And, but the greatest lesson that we see here is, is not that the rich and powerful have uh, troubles. Instead, it's that, that rich are poor, powerful are weak. At some point, we come to an inflection point where we realize that neither we nor anyone around us has an answer. And we're forced. We're driven to God. We're driven to the feet of Jesus Christ. And the, this man's son's life drove him to the feet of uh, Jesus because he knew there was nothing he could do. And, and through this sickness, though, uh, God used that in order to get this man's attention A.W. Pink, who wrote a commentary on John, said, 
It is well when trouble leads a man to God instead of away from God. Affliction is one of God's medicines. Uh, And that's a lesson that we know intuitively, but none of us want to go through it. Uh, None of us uh, care for that at all. But, you know, the doctors had doubtless told this man that they had done everything that they could. There was no hope and he was on the uh, edge of uh, death. But when he heard that Jesus was in Galilee, uh, he went knowing that moving his son was simply uh, too, uh, too risky. And it wasn't that long ago, uh, as we're going through the book of John, that Jesus had uh, performed his first miracle there, turning the water into wine. And so he was becoming very uh, well known. And the word uh, of Jesus being there in his uh, power to heal the sick, and uh, got people started to swarm him and crowd around him as they were as as he was traveling along. And and Scripture tells us that he healed them all. Just an amazing uh, exercise of the power of God as people would come and they would uh, be healed. And now this official, in in desperation, he he goes to Jesus, hoping that he would uh, heal his son. Simple plan, go meet him face to face, tell him his son was close to death, ask him to come back to Capernaum with him and heal his son. If there was any chance that Jesus would do that, he would go himself. He wouldn't send an envoy, he wouldn't send a messenger. He did this himself because the stakes for him and his family were much too high. It's interesting to me because, you know, as we're going through, we always have to keep the author in mind. What is what is is he trying to paint a picture that's in the background as well? And sometimes it's easy to see. Sometimes it's more difficult and sometimes it's simply uncertain. But I do think that it's interesting to note that like the woman at the well, this man doesn't know Jesus as Messiah at this point. He couldn't pass a test on theology, but he had heard about Jesus and his miracles and he had hope and As such, that hope gave him a certain amount of faith that uh, he was able to act on because he wouldn't have made the trip if he didn't have some uh, faith. And it was a big risk as well because he risked being away from the side of his son and uh, his son may die while he's going to seek help from Jesus. But that's the way faith operates, isn't it? Isn't it the way it works? It, it, faith does not always see clearly. It may see dimly, but nevertheless, we step out in faith anyway. Now, Cana, where Jesus was, was about 22 miles away from where the official son was. So this was a, a bit of a trek. And in the, the mountainous region and all of that, it, it was not an easy uh, uh, trek. He came... And he didn't have anything. He didn't offer anything. He just had a desperate plea for his son. And he asked him to come and heal his son. And uh, really, he, I would say, he, he, the word that's used later is a word that could be used as a prayer, uh, to, to, to pray. And as a new believer, I was told that the best prayers uh, were born in desperation. I mean, needy people know how to pray. Those who aren't needy uh, don't pray. So 
It reminds me of the uh, the pastor who uh, one Wednesday night he said, "Come on Wednesday night, and I'm going to teach you all how to pray." And so everybody got their notebooks and they got their minds in the right place, and they showed up in uh, at the uh, at the church, and and the pastor said, "Okay, now uh, two by two, uh, go either get in your car or walk, and uh, and we're going to go visit all the houses." In the area, and they said, "But, but we thought you were going to teach us how to pray." And he said, "Believe me, from the time you get out of your car to the time you knock on the door, you will have learned how to pray." So there's a need that's involved when when we need uh, we 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 pray. And as a chaplain and as a pastor, I've. I've um, I prayed at the bedside of many who wanted to be healed and those who, knowing uh, their time was near, they wanted to be ready to meet uh, God. Uh, When hard times come, we cling uh, to God like a drowning man would cling to a rope or the rope hanging from the precipice, as C.S. Lewis described. I'm also reminded of the words of a, a Union soldier during the Civil War, he put it this way, and it, it's something that stuck with me for years. I heard this quote many years ago, and it, it just has embedded itself in me about the way we are. He says this, No man, however brave he may be, does not, when the storm begins to rage uh, fierce around him and when he sees a friend on the right and another on the left stricken down and quivering in the agonies of death, when he sees the serried ranks of his foes coming upon him undaunted, pouring their deadly fire out toward him, making the air quiver and hiss with the rapid movement of all manner of projectiles from the keen sound of the little bullet that sings on its errand of destruction like the buzzing of a fly, to the bombshell that goes by you like a thunderbolt overcoming all obstacles. I say there is no man who, when the first waves of such battle as this surge upon him, does not involuntarily and mentally appeal to God for protection. That's what we do. That's what all of us do. And it doesn't have to be that dramatic. It doesn't have to be like that. When something comes to us, we naturally and normally appeal to God. Would that we would be able to translate that into our daily lives and appeal to God with that kind of intensity as this man here. Now, the word asked, it says that he asked Jesus. If you simply read the text that way, you might see this civil discourse. Where you might see there's Jesus and here's this uh, royal official in his uh, finery coming up to Jesus saying, Jesus, glad to meet you. I understand you can do some miracles. Shake hands, maybe a kiss on each cheek. Let's, uh, can you come to my home and heal my uh, son? No, that's, that's not what's here. The term uh, in the original is herota, which, which means to implore, to entreat, to beseech, to beg, 
Some of your texts will actually say that. It won't say he asked, it'll say he begged, and that's the best translation. And it wasn't a single request. The word here indicates a continuing process. In other words, this man was begging Jesus to heal his son. This was an impassioned plea. He was broken to the core. And when we remove all the human props, we realize that only God can help us. As the Union soldier reminds us, even a so-called atheist will pray at that point. Because we realize there's nothing that can help us aside from God. And time was of the essence. The official believed that Jesus could heal his son. Like many of us, his notion of Jesus and the power is a growing uh, understanding. Like we have too. Because he says, come to Capernaum with me so that you can heal my uh, son. He thought that Jesus had to be physically present in order to heal his son, in order for the miracle to happen. He believed that he couldn't stay in Cana for the Lord to work a miracle. He had to go to Capernaum. They must travel that 22 miles back there to heal his son. And then we have this very odd response. And I'm like, you know, when you read when you read through, if you read through with some sort of this is the first time I've ever read this kind of a mentality, even though you've read it many times, it it, it comes as a, a bit of a shock. It comes as it's like a, a little slap in the face and you go, where did that come from? It, it's a puzzling answer from Jesus. Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. What? Uh, you, you've got to get you got to get the scene, right? It's not like it's not like Jesus Christ's superstar and Andrew uh, Lloyd Webber come walk across my swimming pool looking for a miracle. This man was absolutely devastated. He was desperate. He was begging Jesus, probably on his knees. Sounds like a rebuke. Not an appreciation of faith. But thankfully we have a clue here. It's not obvious in many translations. But it's very clear in the New King James. He says to him, unless you people. In other words, it's fascinating. The word that he uses there is plural. He was not addressing this desperate man. He was addressing the crowd that had surrounded him and he was accusing them of only wanting more signs and miracles. Hey, you turn water into wine. What are we getting next? We're going to see a healing. Woohoo! Faith built on that feeling of wonderment and the spectacular is not a biblical faith that will save. It will impress, knock your socks right off, but it won't save. And it's interesting to note here again, as we think about this, this portrait that John may be painting also in the background, that he may be drawing a contrast between the Samaritans uh, in Sakar who believed because of his word. Isn't that fascinating? They believed because of his word, the Jews in Cana 
who were only interested in miracles. And regardless, while the the uh, while it says that Jesus uh, uh, directed his comment to this royal uh, official, he's not talking to him. And uh, I always love when Jesus uh, does this. Uh, my own translation, were I to make it, uh, one of my favorite verses, in, in fact, is striking in, in the Bible, is when Jesus turned toward the woman. You know, the, remember the woman who was washing his feet and Simon the Pharisee was all uh, upset about this. If you knew what kind of woman was touching you, uh, you, wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't allow this. And it, it says that, uh, that Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, and I, I find that striking. If I were to say it, I would say, in looking intently at the woman, he, he spoke to Simon. Jesus did this all the time. He was a natural teacher. He was looking at this situation where this man was exhibiting genuine faith, but the crowd, they just wanted to see a miracle. What are you going to do next, Jesus? And he just was disgusted uh, with with that. So this isn't a rebuke of the official, but the people watching. Water to wine, healing, healing, miracle. We get to see a miracle. I mean, based on my reading of the text, this official had no interest. He could care less about seeing a miracle for a miracle's sake. Going back to that doctor, that's like an x-ray to him. That's like a, a new protocol to him. He doesn't care. The only thing he cares about is my son going to be okay. And he cries out, Lord. Now, this word Lord here is not easy for a royal official to say to someone else other than like Herod. Okay, so he was speaking, though, out of his heart, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said, now get this. Jesus said, go, your son will live. I don't know how many times you've been in prayer and the Lord said, you know, okay, go. I've I've done this thing for you. And you go, um. Like, can you put like an exclamation point on that somehow? Can you give me like a little, you know, can you give me a little more than that? Can you, you know, can you show yourself a little more than that so that I can believe? Can you do a Gideon little thing here? So, you know, because it actually hasn't happened yet. In fact, I won't even know for another day or two or however long it might be. And yet this man, it says he believed. The word. Now we're back to the Samaritan woman where he believed the word that Jesus spoke and he went on his way. Now, there were two miracles that occurred at that moment. The first one was the son's healing. But the second one was the healing of this nobleman's heart. I don't know how difficult, but it must have been terribly difficult for him to turn away from Jesus and to begin that 22-mile journey back to Capernaum. And as he was going along, all he had to comfort him were the words of Jesus, your son lives. And the faith that he exhibited was simple. I, Lord, I believe it was naked. It was raw, not in miracles, but in the word of the Lord. 
He didn't ask for a token. He didn't ask for a sign. He believed. On one level, um, he didn't know what would happen. He had no proof of anything, no outward, but he left anyway. He left based on the word of the Lord, and he leaned on that. St. Augustine or Augustine put it this way. Faith is to believe what we do not see, and the reward of faith is to see what we believe. And, and we go on further in the passage, and as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering, and, and he asked them, what hour uh, did he get, begin to get better? And they said, yesterday, about the seventh hour, the fever left him. So as he was making his way home, he was looking off in the distance and he saw his servants coming. He didn't know what news uh, that they would bring. But the news that they uh, brought to him was good news. Master, your son lives. Now, I don't know, some of you, maybe uh, some in the sound of my voice uh, were, were raised uh, there. Maybe your culture is uh, such that you would be able to uh, relate to this, but I've been in the Middle East when a party got started. <laughs> Trust me, they party. Uh, you can imagine the celebration. There was a lot of noise going on, and in the midst of all this, the father has win. He wanted to know. He wanted to know, and when they said the seventh hour, he understood that that was when the Lord told him, go your way, your son lives even though it was 22 miles away, he learned something about the power of God that time and space and distance mean nothing at all. And that's a miracle. But this, to me, is the greater of all. So he and all his household believed. He and all his household believed. Uh, so you see this official believing Jesus three times. He believed that if he went to Jesus, Jesus could, if he would, heal his son. He believed his word that he had healed his son and he left. And finally and ultimately he believed in Jesus himself he and his entire household, they believed so completely that his entire family and servants believed he came and they came with him. Now, obviously, this word looped back around to John or we wouldn't see it in the text. <laughs> I want to add what is obvious. It kind of goes back to what I started with. We're all intuitively aware of it. Some may be painfully aware of it. That as with my nephew, not every prayer for help is answered similarly. Not every child is healed. Not everyone is protected miraculously. Oswald Chambers wrote, Faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. I wish we could absorb that into our hearts. It is not faith in God. Faith means 
whether I am visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love and that there are some things, Chambers goes on to say, that are only learned in the fiery furnace. Yet behind everything that we see in this text is the sovereign hand of God. He works through, some of you may be in adversity and and pain right now, perhaps extraordinary. I don't know. But he works through that adversity. He works through those trials. He works uh, in the midst of the sorrows that we have. And we see this. And when we do, we're like this uh, father. We come to Jesus. Lord, we need you. Please help. And Jesus says, go your way, be in peace. Will we have the faith to do that? This is a huge question. Very often, we don't see that line until many weeks, months, perhaps years later. But when we do, we discover how good Jesus is. I, we can look back later and we can see this. I love the words, the casting crown, crowns lyrics. Because it really speaks to our, all of our hearts. I was sure by now. I was sure by now. God, you would have reached down and wiped our tears away. You would have stepped in and saved the day. But once again, I say Amen. And it's still raining. Well, as the thunder rolls, I barely hear your whisper through the rain. I'm with you. And as your mercy falls, I will raise my hands and praise the God who gives and takes away. And I'll praise you in this storm. And I will lift my hands for you are who you are. And no matter where I am, and every tear I've cried, you hold in your hand. You never left my side, and though my heart is torn, I will praise you in this storm. I can only imagine that was how that father felt as he was going back to Capernaum. We can often see that a more extraordinary miracle uh, has been wrought than the one we sought initially in our lives. When we look back, we go, oh, that was the real purpose. And we learn that His ways are not our ways. Give God time and all will be made right. He will be vindicated in everything and His word will be proved true in your life in all of our lives. And our part is to trust Him. To believe and make that walk back to Capernaum. Lord, I believe. And that's all you've got. And you don't know what the outcome will be. But one of the things that we do know is that we must go our way. And we must trust Him to do what is best for us. And we will learn 
when we do that, that his healing is beyond signs, beyond wonders. He does something in our heart. Father, we are so deeply grateful for Jesus Christ, his life, his work, the beauty that he brings to us. Lord, if if there is no God, there is no beauty. There is no truth. There is only the raw ugliness of death and despair. And everything that we hold otherwise is an illusion, a mockery of the truth. But Lord, you are there. Your son did come. He gave his life on the cross so that we might have life. So that we might see beauty. That we might hear beauty in music, in the trees around us, in the breaths that we take. There is beauty. There is meaning. There is purpose. But only because you are. And only because your son walked this earth, gave his life, was raised from the dead, and will soon come to take us home to be with him. We thank you through Christ our Lord. Amen.